You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch as he teaches through the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles with you, please open them there. Continuing to study through this letter to the church of Ephesus, we're going to look at Ephesians 6, 14 through 17. And actually, we're going to back up just a little bit into verse 13 from last week. And so let's read our text, and then we'll, uh, we'll go back and talk about some of these things. Therefore... Take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And so, as we've been making our way through the book of Ephesians, we've seen uh, a few things. Of course, in the beginning of the book, we saw our wealth as believers. The the wealth that we have in Ephesians 1-3, Paul really sums that up when he says that we've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. And so we talked about our wealth. And then in chapter 4, we moved into that section where Paul talks about our walk. Because as we understand all of the blessings we have, we then need to appropriate those things. We then need to put them into practice and walk them out. And now, in this last section, starting with verse 10 of chapter 6, Paul has begun to talk about our warfare. Because as people who follow Jesus and understand all of the blessings that we have in Christ and we're walking with Him, and we're walking uprightly with Him, guess what? There's a war. There's a battle. We talked about that last week, and we introduced this subject. If you weren't here, maybe you can jump on the web and listen or or pick up a CD. Paul talks about this battle that we're all in. It's not something that we choose. It, It isn't like enlisting in the military. This is a battle that you are waging, whether you're aware of it or not. Many of us sadly, are sort of in a spiritual slumber. We're not aware of the battle that's going on, and we're losing that battle. Last week we talked about those things that we need to do to ensure that we're winning the battle, that we can stand strong. And and Paul continues in this same idea, and he talks about the armor that we have. Because every good soldier has armor, has equipment. You don't go to battle without equipment. Paul talks about six things in our text that are the believer's armor. We're going to look at those things individually. In verse 14, he says, stand therefore. And that's important that we understand that as followers of Jesus, we are called to stand our ground and to be gaining ground, not to be retreating, not to be going backwards. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58, Paul says, be steadfast immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's our calling is to be steadfast. And and how many of us know people? How many of us know people in our own church here who at one time were walking with the Lord, who were doing so good, and then have gone backwards? And going backwards in battle is not a good thing. And going backwards in our walk is not a good thing. And if you have to sit there and think about it like, Am I going backwards or am I gaining ground? Am I standing firm? Guess what? You're, you're going backwards. If you don't know, you're, you're not doing well. 
You, you know. You, you know if you're closer to Jesus today than you were a year ago or five years ago. It's a constant maturation. It's a constant drawing closer to the Lord than you ever have been before. And you guys, every time we gather together as a fellowship, that's our heart, is that you would draw closer to Jesus more today, that you would know Him better today than you did when you walked in. Otherwise, what are we doing here? Every night when you lay your head on your pillow, your heart's desire should be that you know Jesus better than you did when your feet hit the floor that morning. That's our, that's our calling. That's our goal in this life. And there's, there's other goals that we have, certainly. There's other things that we're pursuing. And there's lots of things that, that we have to, to do just to survive in this world, certainly. But our number one priority, our number one goal above all else should be to know Jesus, to know Him better, growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus, having Him capture your hearts. He says, stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth. That's the first piece of armor that he talks about is this belt of truth. Now, oftentimes this is spoken of as biblical truth, the truth of the Word of God. And, and there's probably nothing wrong with that interpretation, but Paul's going to talk about the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word. And so I don't think he's going to be redundant here. I think this is uh, a little bit deeper than that. I think this is taking the truth of God's Word, certainly, taking the truth of Jesus and having it make a difference in your life. See, the belt of the Roman soldier, and that's exactly what Paul has in mind as he's writing this, is the Roman soldier. You remember that Paul is in prison as he writes this letter. He's chained to a Roman Guard. And so what better metaphor to use than this Roman soldier who's right next to him? It's like, yeah, this will work. You know, he's just copying down as he's looking at this guy. And the thing that Paul knows is that the belt of truth is that piece of armor that holds everything else together. And you guys, the Bible says that we're not only to be hearers of the Word, but doers of the Word. And I think that many of us have a sword. We... We understand what the sword is, the Word of God. We know the truth of God's Word, but it has not penetrated our hearts to the point that it has made a radical transformation in our lives that is demonstrative, something that people can see, something that people can bear witness to. And that's why the church in the year 2007 is losing ground. That's why the church in the year 2007 has less members than it's ever had. Less of a percentage of the population than it's ever had. And we're losing ground steadily. Why is that? Because I think people look at our lives and they see religiosity. They see all kinds of exterior things that say, yeah, that person goes to church and that person claims to know Jesus. But there's nothing very tangible about our lives that says, I want to be a follower of Jesus. And, and I watch programs on TV and I listen to, to people on the radio and I see what is going on in the church. And the question that I ask myself is if I was not a believer, what about what they're doing and what they're saying would make me want to become one? What about our lives makes people want to become a follower of Jesus? That's the belt of truth. 
is the appropriation of the truth of the Gospel, of the truth of who Jesus is, calculating and leading to a transformed life. Otherwise, it's worthless, it's meaningless to us. It's being a person of truth, being a person of sincerity that does not draw near to God with our lips, but have our hearts be far from Him. And you guys, it's not enough to know the truth. The truth has to change you. And guess what? Like a tornado through a trailer park, there's noticeable change. Nobody says after the tornado, after the hurricane, did that blow through here? I'm not really sure. It's clear. And when the Holy Spirit blows through your heart, there will be change. There will be transformation. There is no question of the presence of God in your life. What kind of transformation is taking place? Not ten years ago or five years ago or even six months ago. What transformation is taking place today? What is Jesus doing in your life today? What kind of belt of truth are you putting on today? Paul told Timothy, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself, gets himself and herself wrapped up in the affairs of this world. Is our life different? Is there transformation? Has Jesus captured our hearts? Has the truth of His Word brought a change in our life? That's the belt of truth. It holds everything together because the Roman soldier would wear a tunic. And it would be sort of like a, a long robe. Men wore robes back then. You know, it's not super masculine for our time, but in that time it was, it was cool for a guy to wear a robe. And wearing a robe isn't real conducive to battle. And so when it was time to go to battle, when they would begin to march and to run to war, they would take the, the robe, the tunic, and they would pull it up and then they would wrap it in the belt and they would cinch it tight. And that would give them freedom. It would give them the ability to move and to fight unencumbered. Is our life free from the entanglement, from the allurement of this world? Have we girded up the loins of our mind, as Peter tells us, with the belt of truth? The second piece of armor that Paul talks about, it's found in verse 14 as well. He says, "...having put on the breastplate of righteousness." The breastplate of righteousness. We have an idea of what that is. It was a, a chain meal piece of, of armor, of, of metal. They wore it from the neck to the waist. It covered their front and their back. Protected their vital organs, including the heart. And it's the breastplate of righteousness, notice. And righteousness is, is twofold in our walk with the Lord. First of all, it is positional. It's something that we have as a basis of who we are in Christ. That's what Ephesians is all about. It's who we are in Christ and who Christ is in us. And we have been given righteousness. It was deposited into our bank account. Righteousness. Jesus on the cross gave us His righteousness. The Bible says, He who knew no sin was made to be sin with our sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So He gave us His righteousness. So first of all, this breastplate of righteousness is positional. We understand that it's something that we've been given 
Because of who we are in Christ, we're already righteous. In fact, one of the names of God is Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord, our righteousness. We don't work toward it. We can't drum it up. It's who we are. We're righteous in His sight. But clearly, it's not only positional, but it's practical. Because as we understand who we are in Christ, as we understand this righteousness that we wear as a breastplate that protects our heart, we understand that. It begins to work itself out in practical ways in our life. We might call that holiness or sanctification, that process of maturation where we are becoming more like Jesus. And we've talked about that this morning, but, but clearly the, the positional work of Jesus begins to work itself out practically. And that's the breastplate. It's freely given to those who truly believe in Jesus. It's, it's there for you. It's not something you work toward. We talked about that in Ephesians chapter 2, that we're saved by grace. It's not of our works. Nobody can boast about it. We must understand if we want to wear this breastplate and have it protect our hearts, because our hearts are important, aren't they? And we have the opportunity to give our hearts away to a lot of things. And, and we're complicated people. God has made us very complex. And you can deceive yourself into thinking that your heart is dedicated to Jesus. What we might call Jesus living in our heart, right? We might call it being saved. Whatever term you want to use. The Bible doesn't really use those terms. Whatever term you want to use to describe what Jesus has done in our life. You guys, the idea is that He has complete control of our life. That He has our heart. Nobody else. No rival throne. No gods before me. The first commandment. That's what He wants. And when you begin to allow Him to do that, you understand that you're righteous. That you're holy. And you don't want to take that righteousness and smear it in the mud of this world. And so it begins to impact you and to transform you. And you're aware of the fact that you are righteous. Not that you could be or that you should be. Or maybe that you might be someday. But that you are righteous. See, it changes everything. It's just like the parent that is constantly putting down their child, telling their child how stupid they are and how... They'll never amount to anything. And, and that child is sort of patterned to believe that. Well, guess what? What God has said to you is that you are righteous, that you are holy, that you are a saint, that He believes that you can live that out. And that's why we see Jesus getting so disappointed with the disciples all of the time is because He knew they could do better than that. He wanted them to understand who they already were, not what they could be but who they already were. See, God is able to, to look through all of the junk and all of the stuff in our life, and He's able to recognize who we are because of what He did. And He says, look, will you just recognize who you already are in Me and begin to allow that to make an impact in your life. And just like we don't like to take our nice clothes out to feed the animals or to do work in the yard, you buy a new pair of shoes and, and for the first week or so, you're just, you're so attuned to how the shoes are doing, right? You're looking at, ooh, I don't want to step in that mud puddle. Oh, I don't know if I want to walk across that dirt. And then after a week or so, they get scratched a little bit, they get a little dirty, and then it doesn't matter anymore. And I wonder if some of us have done that 
with the righteousness that we have in Christ. At first, man, it was we were so aware of it. We were so stoked that we were righteous, that we had holiness. There's no way I'm taking this out into the gutter, into the sewer. But then you sort of lose sight of that. You get a little scratch here, a little dirt there. It's not that big of a deal. And pretty soon, your righteousness is not looking so righteous from a practical standpoint. Well, there's a third piece of armor that that Paul talks about. It's found in verse 15. He says, "...and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace..." This is describing the Roman soldier's war boot, the caliga. It was an open-toed leather boot, and it had nails protruding from the bottom of the, of the shoe, of the boot. It was studded to give them grip. Have you ever tried to play football on grass or soccer without cleats, maybe in tennis shoes? And if everybody's wearing those, then you're okay because everybody's slipping and sliding. But if you're the only one that's not wearing cleats, you're going to notice a big difference. And that's why they would wear these, these boots with the nails sticking out. It would give them traction. They weren't meant to run. If you tried to run down the street in them, you would slip and fall. They were meant for battle. They were meant to grip the ground for hand-to-hand combat. They were meant for marching. And he says it's the gospel of peace. Is, is what gives us this protection for our feet. Now, our feet speak of our walk, our lifestyle. And it's the gospel of peace. The gospel serves to establish us, to make us steadfast and immovable for the battle that we're in. There's two types of peace. There's peace with God, Romans 5.1. Through Jesus, we have peace with God. We're no longer at enmity with God. The wrath of God is no longer hanging over us. We're now at peace with God. Reconciliation is the theological term. We've been reconciled. We've been given peace with God again. Not because you came up with this cool treaty for God to sign between you and Him. And you worked it out and it was like, Hey Lord, I got this agreement and this is how it's going to go. No, because of what Jesus did. You recognize that. And it gave you peace with God. But again, there's the positional end of things, and then there's the practical end of things. Positionally, you and I have peace with God. There's no question about that. God's not mad at you. God's not upset. His wrath has been taken care of. Sin is no longer an issue. It's been taken care of. Jesus said, it is finished. Now, it's an issue as far as we're concerned. But it's not an issue as far as God's concerned. It's been taken care of at the cross. We have peace with God. But then there's the practical side of things, and there is the peace of God. Most of us have peace with God. If you know Jesus personally, you have peace with God. But I would dare say that that many of us are not experiencing the peace of God. We're living in anxiety. We're living in fear. We're living in constant worry. Our life is in turmoil, and it doesn't have to be that way. He says, look, I want you to shod your feet to give you traction in this walk with Jesus with the gospel of peace. That peace that you have with God should translate into peace that you have in your daily life, the peace of God. The story is told of Pheidippides, a Greek soldier, who 
in learning that his army had defeated the Persians, was so excited that he ran the 26 plus miles through the plain of Marathon, all the way back to Athens. He ran straight. And he announced to the city that they had victory. Consequently, that's where the term Marathon comes from. 26 plus miles that Pheidippides ran. The plain of Marathon. He ran there to speak of the victory that they had, the peace that they now have. And that illustration is great for us in that God wants us to not only understand the peace that we have, but then to allow that peace to translate into our life so that we're not worried about paying next month's house payment or how we're going to put our kids through college or how we're going to take care of the property taxes that are coming up or how we're going to find that job because we just got laid off or how we're going to deal with our kids who are unruly and rebellious or what are we going to do about this illness that we just heard about or this family member that's probably not going to make it. We realize and we recognize that His peace is available to us and we allow it to calm our hearts. We allow it to to take us from that place of anxiety to that place where our hearts are guarded with His peace that passes all understanding, Philippians 4 tells us. And this is not only personal, but this is missional as well. This is, this is part of our, our mission as believers as He talks about the, the preparation of the Gospel of peace. And if you take this to the Old Testament in Isaiah 52, it talks about those who have beautiful feet. Those who take the gospel, the good news, to the lost. And Paul uses that same text from Isaiah in Romans 10 as he says, How will they believe if they've never heard? And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. And you guys, we have been given peace with God. Hopefully we're experiencing the peace of God. And there's another aspect to this. If you want to live at peace... If you want to be a person who's victorious, you will be a person that understands your mission. That is to make disciples. That is to share the gospel. That is to take the good news to every possible person. And I would say that if you're a person that is very selfish, is very self-centered, that's not thinking about other people, that doesn't care about the eternal status of your family members, your friends, your coworkers, your neighbors and you're not taking the gospel of peace to them, there's going to be a hole in your life. There's going to be an area of your life that you're losing ground, that you're not having a grip. Because it's part of who we are. It's our mission. And here at Calvary Chapel, man, we want you guys to understand that. We don't want to create a little place for people to come and to fellowship and to just have a good time and to hear the Word and get full and fat and then never allow that to translate into the community that we live in. We don't want to be this isolated bubble that has no impact on the world that we've been placed in. See, there's going to be a time when when we get to just hang out, worship God, and experience Him, and that's going to be in heaven. But right now, we live in a culture that's opposed to God. And God has us here for a reason, for a purpose. Not to isolate ourselves, not to create a little bubble by which we're protected from the world. 
And we, we pull ourselves and we pull our children out of every possible phase and aspect of life. And we are doing that in the name of protecting them. But in actuality, what we're doing is we are isolating ourselves. And we're isolating our children. And we're teaching our children that we're better than they are. And it's nothing but modern day 21st century Phariseeism. I don't want to be in contact with those people. Do you know what kind of music they listen to? Do you know what kind of things that they do? And yet we're Christians. Which as far as I can tell means we're followers of Jesus. Which the last time I checked that out meant that we live like Jesus lived. And guess what? Jesus didn't live in the synagogue all the time. Sometimes I wonder if Jesus even enjoyed going to the synagogue because it was full of self-righteous people. And Jesus had His greatest times of ministry where people actually listened to what He said in what we might consider to be sinful places. The pub, the tavern, the nightclub, the place where things go on that we are opposed to. And hey, guess what? We should be opposed to those things. But that doesn't mean we isolate ourselves from those people and that we tell them with our actions that we're better than they are. No, it means we take Jesus to them. And we learn about their culture. We learn about how they think. We don't hit them over the head with our Bible. We don't use terms that they don't understand. We don't arrogantly come to them as if we have it all together. We lovingly come to them with the good news, the Gospel. And we live it out before them. And we invite them over for dinner. And we help them out when they're going through tough times. We watch their kids so that they can go out to dinner. We invite them over, maybe instead of that family from church. We invite the neighbor down the street. And yeah, their kids are rude. And yeah, the guy cusses. And yeah, they say things that we don't really agree with. But we love them. And we give them Jesus. That's our mission. That's what Jesus did. The boots, they're important. A fourth thing is the shield of faith. Verse 16, he says, Above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Now, this isn't, this wasn't the small shield that they wore on their forearm. This was a, a large shield, probably two feet wide and four feet tall. More than likely, it was made of wood and then it was wrapped with leather. Several layers woven tightly. And it was designed that they could get behind it so that when the javelin came, when the spear came, when the flaming arrows came, because the, the soldiers, the Roman soldiers, would dip their arrows in something flammable. They would light it on fire and they would shoot it into the air. And you would get behind that shield and it would protect you. You might line up with all of your fellow soldiers together so that you would create a wall. And this shield was super important because you know what? In this life, we are constantly being bombarded with spears from the enemy, with javelins, with flaming arrows of temptation. We're in the world. Jesus has called us to be here, to not buy a cabin up on top of a mountain somewhere and to isolate ourselves to be some kind of a monk or to be some kind of a, a crazy person. It's not what Jesus has called us to. He's called us to be here. But in the midst of being here, we're not to become like the world. We're to impact the world. Jesus is our example of how to do that. We can't 
use the excuse that you know the world is worse off than it's ever been. Man, read history. The world is very cyclical. The Roman government with which Paul lived was probably one of the most anti-Christ governments ever. Nero was a flaming homosexual. Nero would ride naked through his garden with Christians lit on fire. And he would ride through his garden naked, taunting them as they were being burned alive. Okay? It doesn't happen today. Not in the United States. If it did, we, oh my gosh, this is the worst thing. Look, we live in a, in a postmodern world. We live in a post-Christian society for sure. The first one of our nation's history, but not the first one ever. It's just cyclical. We're just experiencing what has happened hundreds of times. And if our nation doesn't realize it, we will go the way of every other nation in history. But look, it's not like it's never happened before. It's not as if Paul didn't know how to live for Jesus in the midst of a demented world. He did. It can be done. We can do it, you guys. We can do it with the power of the Holy Spirit and the shield of faith to block all of this temptation. And that's why John in 1 John 5, 4 says that this is the victory, our faith. We have to believe in the power of God. But to believe that He has already given us the victory. Not that we're working toward it, but that we're working from it. There's a big difference. And that's why Romans 8 tells us that we are more than conquerors. Another military term. We're more than conquerors. Because we won. We were winners. We were victorious before the battle even started. In verse 17, Paul talks about the helmet of salvation. He says, and take the helmet of salvation. This was a metal or leather headpiece that they would put on that would cover their ears and all the way down their cheeks. It's obvious it was to protect their head, to protect their mind, their brain, which is pretty important. It's the helmet of salvation. As we understand who we are in Christ, as we allow Him to transform our minds, Romans chapter 12, it begins to give us great victory. Because you guys, the battle in our life is waged in our mind. This is where adultery starts. Is here. This is where someone who embezzles all kinds of money and steals, it starts here. They didn't walk into work one day and decide they were going to rob. It happened over time. It happened through a course of their mind being patterned. You don't walk away from Jesus in a moment. It's slow and it's sure and it's your mind being twisted and distorted from the deception of the enemy. The, the enemy that we have, the devil, is a liar. And you need to understand that there are a lot of voices out there that you can hear. And see, this, this helmet protected your ears, protected what you hear. And guess what? Again, we live in a culture with a lot of voices. There's the radio. There's the Internet. There's TV. There's print media. There's the education system. There's even pastors who will tell you things that aren't right and that aren't good and that aren't true. And there's other Christians and there's other groups of people that say they're followers of Jesus. And we need to be able to go to the Word of God to filter these voices to discern whether it's from Him or not. Because the enemy of our souls, the devil, 
He's really good at taking half-truths and presenting them to us as if they're real and good. And He'll tell you, oh, this promotion is from God. This is amazing. You don't need to pray about it. This is from the Lord. You're going to make double what you used to make. And you take it. And then you realize that it was that which the enemy used to get his foot in the door of your life. was that which the enemy used to get into your heart, to draw you away from Christ, to destroy your family, to destroy your ministry. There's lots of things out there that seem right, that seem good, and we justify things in our mind. Well, he doesn't love me anymore, and and this guy loves me. This guy at the gym, I mean, he tells me that I'm beautiful and, and he, he shows me affection and, and wow, I don't have that at home and, and we justify in our mind that it's right and that I deserve this and it's the enemy. And pretty soon you, you travel down that road and you realize that the end of it is destruction. But it seemed right. It seemed good at the time. But there comes a point where you realize that it was totally wrong. Eve thought, that she was doing the right thing. Eve thought she was doing the best thing. What was best for her? What was best for her family? Satan had deceived her. He had twisted the Word of God and made it seem as if she knew better. And right now, we are all being fed a pack of lies. And it's up to you to take those things that you're hearing, those voices, those mediums through which the enemy can infiltrate And it's up to you to decide how you're going to process them in your mind. Is it truth or is it error? And all of it comes down to this last piece of armor, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The only offensive weapon that's listed here is the Word, the Scriptures that that God has given us to reveal Himself to us, to tell us how we relate to Him, to tell us how we ought to do church, to tell us how we should use our gifts to tell us what our mission in life is, what our purpose in life is, what we should be spending our time on. It's there. And he says, look, I want you to take this sword and I want you to use it in that battle that you're going to face. And this wasn't talking about the giant sword. This was the little sword that they would use in hand-to-hand combat. And you remember Satan came to Jesus in the wilderness. Matthew 4, Luke 4. It says the Spirit of God drove Jesus into the wilderness right after He said, This is My Son, whom I am well pleased. Which, by the way, is the very thing He says about each one of us. This is My Son. This is My daughter. I am well pleased with you because of who Jesus is and what He's done in your life. I'm pleased with you. And then He drives us. The Spirit of God drives us into those times where the enemy is absolutely hammering us. And what are we using to fight him off, to resist him? As the Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. What are we using? Are we using our logic? Are we using some book that we read? The latest, greatest selling book at the Christian bookstore? Is that what we're using to fight off the enemy? Hey, there's some great books out there. But this is what we need to be quoting. Not doctor so-and-so, but the Word of God. This is what we have to win a victory. And the enemy came to Jesus with those temptations. And Jesus said, it is written. And he would defeat the enemy. And guess what? The enemy came back and he said, well, yeah, it is written this. And the enemy quoted Scripture to Jesus. 
which didn't work on Jesus because he's the author of it. I don't know what he was trying to do there. It's like typically you're not going to pull one over on the author. But he can do that to us. And a lot of times we fall for it. He takes the Word of God and he twists it. And we need to, to know how to use our sword. It takes being in the Word. Being a person of the Word. Allowing, as Colossians says, the Word of God to dwell in you richly. As Jeremiah said, your words were found and I did eat them. And they were to me the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. That's what we need to to be is consuming the Word of God. Taking that sword and using it on a daily basis. But guess what, you guys? The awesome thing about the sword of the Word of God, unlike the sword of the Roman soldier who would have to spend hours and months and years and a lifetime to become good with that sword... And maybe he never would be that good with it. He didn't have the talent or the athletic ability or the strength. Maybe he could just get by. But guess what? The, the Word of God is living and it's powerful in and of itself. You take a sword and you hold it up and it's worthless if you don't know how to use it. You just stand there like an idiot. Hey, but the Word of God, you take the Word of God and you quote it. You take the Word of God and you just simply read it. And it has power. You don't even need to necessarily understand all of it. It's living and it's powerful in and of itself because it was written by God. It was inspired by God. And so when you're feeling the barrage of the enemy, when you're sensing that you are being attacked, man, get into the Word. Let the Word get into you. The psalmist said, How shall a young man keep his way pure By taking heed according to your word. Your words were hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. You Guys, hide God's word in your heart. Meditate upon it. You'll be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. What does that speak of? It speaks of fruitfulness. It speaks of strength. It's speaking of the winds blowing and it not being affected by it. And there's lots of wind blowing in your life. There's lots of attacks. There's lots of battles. When you leave this place today, you will face a battle probably before you go to bed tonight. And how are you going to stand victorious? All of these things, all of this armor that we've talked about this morning, guess where it's found? In Jesus. Every piece, the truth, the belt of truth. Jesus is the truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the truth. The Spirit says that He leads us into all truth. He leads us to Jesus. The breastplate of righteousness. Jesus is our righteousness. The boots that represent peace. He is our peace. The shield of faith. Jesus is our the object of our faith. He's the supplier of our faith. Romans 12 tells us that every man has been given a measure of faith. Ephesians 2, if you read it carefully, tells us that faith is a gift. God gives us even the ability to recognize Him. If He wanted to hide from us, He could have. Psalm 8, what is man that you're even mindful of Him? Guys, the very fact that we know God and that we're able to relate to Him is because He wanted us to be able to. We love Him because He first loved us. He's the supplier of our faith. The helmet of salvation. Whose salvation found in? Jesus. He made salvation possible. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Who's the Word? Jesus. 
He's the incarnate Word. He's the Logos, the expression of God. That's what Logos is when it says the Word. It's the demonstration of God, the tangible demonstration of God. That's what Jesus is. He came and He tabernacled among us because He wanted to have relationship with us. And so He said, look, here I am. And John said, man, we touched Him. We saw Him. We beheld Him. We experienced Him. And that's what Jesus wants for you. He's the Word. He's the Logos for you. This means, you guys, when you trusted Christ, you received the armor. It's not something you go and find. You don't have to go and visit a bunch of different thrift stores. Hey, do you have a breastplate of righteousness? Oh, we sold the last one. I'm sorry. We had one in the other day. You don't have to go on a pursuit of this. You already have it. It's part of who you are in Christ. I'll close with this from Romans 13. And do this, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. And here's the key. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. You guys, that's a daily thing. Putting on Jesus. Putting off the flesh. Putting on Jesus. That's what it means to put on the armor. We put on Jesus. We recognize who we are in Him and who He is in us. And man, it radically transforms your life. Let's stand and pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we thank You for each piece of the armor that all speaks of You. Jesus, it all comes back to You. Jesus, we want our life to be centered upon You. Jesus, be our everything. Jesus, come and take our hearts. Take our lives. Jesus, we need You. Without You, we can do nothing. With You, we can do all things. We recognize that this armor is found in You. And Lord, those of us that know You, we already have it. It's already a part of who we are in You and who You are in us. But Lord, if there's any here that don't know You, then, Lord, they're left unprotected. Lord, they're left defenseless and vulnerable to the enemy who wants to steal from them, who wants to kill them, who wants to destroy them. And, Lord, I pray right now if there's anyone here who is tired of losing the battle in their life, who's tired of being whipped and beaten and stolen from and shredded by the devil, Lord, if, if they're just tired of the guilt that they feel, of the emptiness they feel. And Lord, they want Your armor. Lord, I pray right now that they would ask You to come and to clothe them, to come and to remove their sin and to give them Your righteousness. Lord, we receive that by faith. Lord, if there's anyone here, Lord, I pray right now You would make Yourself so clear to them that Your love would overwhelm them. They would see their need for You and ask You to come and to be their King and their Savior. Lord, do that work. And Lord, for those of us who maybe have made a profession of faith, maybe we've walked with You, but we've walked away from You. And Lord, we're not experiencing these things that we talked about this morning. Lord, we're not walking in the armor. We're not walking close to You, Jesus. We're not experiencing You. We're going backwards. We're losing. Jesus, right now, come and consume our lives once again. Be our Lord. 
our Master. Lord, take our lives once again. We're tired of living this way. We're tired of being defeated. Lord, we want to recognize who we are in You and, and have that transform our lives once again, God. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Restore us, God. We thank You, Lord, that we can come to You and we can confess our sins and that You're faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Praise You, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County, you may email us at info at calvarycrookcounty.com. Or if you would like to write to us, you may do so at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thank you for listening, and God bless.